favorite quote about writing is that writers live their life twice. And it's so true, it's so catchy to me as a writer. So you have your life, and then you remember your life in words. And that act of remembering with a pen in your hand is a very powerful experience. Welcome to another episode of Write of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to write your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. If you've been through hell and lived to tell about it, or your family skeletons are poking out of the closet, you'll want to check it out at lifestorytelling.com. guest today is none other than the darling of the writing community, Anne Staley. Anne has been writing since the fifth grade when her mother gave her stationery with her name printed across the top in red. She expects to die with an open notebook in her hand. Anne has three master's degrees, a master of arts in teaching, a master's in humanities, and an MA in leadership and policy analysis from Stanford University. And get this, Anne plans to have her degrees listed on her tombstone, along with her six-word biography. Here it is. Loved this world, pen in hand. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much, Stacey. Nice to talk with you and and to be interviewed. Well, I'm really excited because you bring a wealth of information about life storytelling, and I've seen some of your poems. I've read some of your poems. They're very exciting. So... Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I knew that I wanted to teach from the time I was in second grade. I had an extraordinary second grade teacher. She traveled around the world with her husband, who was a physician after World War II. And that was the start of your curiosity, right? It, it truly was. I thought, I, I want to be as influential as Mrs. Kitchen was for me. So I began watching teachers. Even bad teachers have good licks, you know. So I was always looking for the good stuff. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, you've written some poems, correct, and personal essay, and, and you've taught yeah. a lot. So what what is your favorite life story archetype? I think one of the most wonderful things that I did, and I haven't written about it except in the general way that I'm going to tell you. I didn't keep a journal then. But when I was 25, I came back from doing uh, two years in the Peace Corps, and I I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'd never been west of Ohio, and I decided that that summer I was going to drive and visit everybody in my address book, and I also picked up every hitchhiker and took them wherever they were going. So that summer, I went 10,000 miles crossing the country. Wow. And, And it was... I mean, it was safe then. People didn't carry guns and knives. They just needed rides. What year was this? This was in 1971. 1971. Yeah. 70. And you were alone. I was by myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it was just thrilling. It was so much fun. And later on, I did my my own hitchhiking, both on the West Coast and and through Europe, and had the, the reverse experience of meeting people, needing rides, and meeting strangers who were interesting and fun. And all of that 
hitchhiking business and picking up hitchhikers was really fun, part of my life. Oh, very neat. You've had lots of journeys. You know, I find a lot of writers, most writers have a, a huge curiosity about them. They're curious about everything, everything around them. And I see that in you as well. I am. I'm especially interested in people. I love to meet new people and I talk to strangers all the time in bars, at the post office. If I'm waiting for a plane, you know, I meet my seatmates and give them my books of poetry and correspond with them for years and, you know, all kind of stuff. So recently, I was on a plane and I unfortunately got the middle seat, but it turned out to be wonderful. So on my left at the window was the ambassador to Scotland. Oh, wow. The United States ambassador from, from Scotland. And on my other side was a CIA agent who had just completed a week on, on a detail with I think the Secretary of Agriculture out on the West Coast. So then I introduced them to each other. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the two men drank scotch at the Scottish Embassy one evening when I, I couldn't go because I had other plans in D.C. Uh-huh. And then I'm in touch with the Scottish ambassador. He's invited me to, to teach in Scotland whenever I can get there. And, oh, lovely. You know that kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing that happens when you strike up conversations. It is. <laughs> so let me ask you, do you write about all of your experiences? Some of your, Do you write every day? Well, I probably write every day. I, it's not that I set aside a time to write. I might wake up with a dream and just write immediately. And I really like to write, handwrite in, I use need composition books and have for a long time. And I have, you know, a shelf of about 50 of them from 2000, maybe, maybe, oh, a few, maybe a few years before then. And I like to handwrite because I actually print, but because it's slow and it's about the speed of a breath. And it's not that I don't write on my computer, I do, but I really like to handwrite. And when I teach classes, I, I, some people have to have a computer and that's fine. I ask people to, to handwrite because of the pace of it and the physicality of it. You know, your hands, connect, your hands connected to your heart. Right. What happens when that pace is slower to a person? Well, you don't get every idea that's going on through your head. So even while you're writing, you should be aware of what you're not getting down. Uh, the same way in a conversation when, when you talk to someone, you can, you can be looking at them and making eye contact, hearing their story, but there's another whole line of language that just never stops in you. And see me, I'm scared of those lost ideas. I'm scared they're gone forever and won't come back. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? Because you're writing by hand and you're printing and it's slower and some of those ideas are slipping by. Well, I just assume that they're there and that sometimes they'll come out connected to something else. Mm-hmm. How do you begin? When I begin writing, I have no idea what I'm going to say or I don't have a direction. I might have a feeling I might that I know about and I just let that it might be a line from somebody else's work I start with or a title that I'm just attracted to and then I see what I have to say about it so that every writing is a journey too. You've written many poems. Do you sit down and you think, okay, I need to write a poem about X or Mm -hmm. something come to you and you just 
put them aside, and then eventually they become a collection. It's very interesting how I got published, and I'll, I'll tell you that story. So a former student of mine, she was a high school student, and then mm-hmm. she became a friend. She went to college, and I, we corresponded, and she went to live in Seattle. One day she was in a grocery store and ran into a friend of hers. My friend's name is Tess. Ran into a friend of hers from college. And her friend said to her, Tess, do you still write? And Tess said, yeah, I, I do. As a matter of fact, I have a novel that I've finished and, and I'm just looking for an agent or a publisher. And her friend said, well, I have a new business partner and we're starting a new press. Send us your book. So she did. They accepted it. So then she and I worked on the phone for two weeks, two hours every morning, and we went over every, you know, colon and dash and right. everything. So I was her editor for this very first book, which turned out to sell 120,000 copies, mind you. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Great and, showing. Yeah. She said to the publishers, you know, Anne was my writing teacher. Anne, who was my editor, was my writing teacher, and she's a poet, and maybe you may be interested. Well, this is all happening on, on email. 20 minutes later, I get an invitation from them to send a manuscript. <sighs> so I didn't even have a manuscript. I had 250 poems on my computer. Wow. So that's how I got published. That's neat. The act of writing a poem, how is that for you? Does it just flow out? Is it like climbing a cliff? <laughs> it flows. It's really, it, it, it flows. And I might revise it several times. But mm-hmm. pretty much they are kind of what they are. And mostly I take things out. Occasionally I will add detail. But mostly they just arrive. For example, the title poem for Primary Sources absolutely came out just as it was. Uh, I was sitting with three other three friends and we were all writing and it came out just the way it is. Right. Which is a pretty amazing experience. And mostly they flow and then I go back and look at them and play around with them a little bit. Right. Very interesting. Let me ask you this. Your quote was writers live life twice. Mm-hmm. That's true because you live life, right? And then if you write about it, especially if you write about your life, you're reflecting back on your life. You're re-experiencing what you're writing down. Tell me a little bit more about that aspect of writing, living your life twice. Well, the quote feels so true to my experience as a writer. And for a long time as a writer, I was much more interested in the process of writing than I was in the content. So I was so aware, you know, kind of looking down from up above and seeing how writing happens. Mm-hmm. And I've written some poems about the process of writing. And Perfect. It's called Friend of Writing. Friend of Writing. The empty page is a place of solace and power. Your words, their order and message can be anything you choose. They become unstoppable. A workshop is a safe place to be heard and to listen. You will discover that writing is a chance to love, to tell the truth, to disagree, to forgive, to imagine. And if you get really good, to cook up 
in words, the most delicious meal you've ever eaten. The best writing has no lace, Walt Whitman wrote. Franz Kafka noted, writing is a form of prayer. The six rules of writing, read, 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 write, write, write. That's fabulous. I love that. And you'll will you send that to me? I'd be glad to. Well, Anne, there are a variety of ways you can write about your life. Mm-hmm. You've given us a couple of examples of poems. And, of course, we all know about autobiography that most people won't write. But can you share some other ways that people could write about their life? Well, for example, you could do a series of bumper stickers. <laughs> you tell the story. Oh, oh, I like that. They tell the story of your life. When I work with writing students, I ask them to take back a couple pages of their journals and number one to fifty, and then just write down a list of things that you care about. So mm-hmm. it could be Wagnerian opera, and it could be blueberries or old wooden fences or trombones, or you know, get the idea. Right. And so then, when you feel like you don't know quite quite what you want to write about, go back and you've given yourself a place to start. And I also collect quotes. I have another set of pages in the back. I write down quotes, including the names of the people who have said them. And oftentimes, that will be an epigram in a poem or a poem. Mm-hmm or become a title, or appear wholly written out in, inside a poem that I'm writing. So there's just, there's so much around that can encourage you to remember. Right. And one time, there was a year where I was terribly depressed, and I actually didn't know I had, I was suffering from depression, but I just had this experience of, like, I was cold all the time, and like it wasn't sleeping well, and just a series of things that turned out to be mm-hmm. diagnosed with depression. But that year, so I was trying to like keep my spirit strong, and I really did this for a whole year. Every day before I went to sleep, I would write down one thing of beauty that I'd seen that day. Right. Now, and it could be something I read, something I saw, something I heard, something that came in letter. It really got me through a very, very rough year which turned out to be a full-blown depression that I was Mm. suffering from that I didn't know about because I'd I'd never experienced it before. And I thought, oh, this is what happens when you turn 50. (laughs) 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 This is why that portrait of my great-great-grandmother is so sour. (laughs) I think that's the way they posed back then. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I have a portrait of her hanging in the dining room and my husband kids and says, um, She's our patron saint of clean your plate. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you, did writing help you get through that depression? Did it help you process that in any way? Well, it surely kept the spark alive. I Mm -hmm. mean, I was pretty close to suicidal. By the time I finally saw someone who could help me and give me Mm -hmm. some meds, she gave me this quick set of 10 questions. I didn't know her. I was just meeting her for the first time. it was May, and I had on knee socks and a sweater and a wool coat. <laughs> <laughs> My hands must have been freezing cold, too. And so she gave me this set of 10 questions, you know, that I'm sure she would, like, quick diagnose. Right. She went out to score it, 
And she came back in and she sat down where, where she was across the table and she leaned across the table and put her hand on my arm and she said, are you suicidal? And I said, I'm not suicidal, but I know why people commit suicide. Hmm. Yeah, it's like, if you were going to feel this way for the rest of your life, you would not want to stay around. She said, well, I'm going to give you a prescription. And I can't remember what it was. It was one of the early antidepressants that was mm-hmm. on the market. I can't remember the name of it now. And she said, this, this might take, you know, five weeks or so to kick in, but I want you to stay in touch with me and come back in and see me and let me know if you have any bad side effects or whatever. So next day, I'm wearing all this heavy clothes. It's May. It's the middle of May I'm wearing these clothes. Right. And I, I get the prescription filled. I take whatever, a pill, whatever it was. And two hours later, a huge gray cloud lifted from in front of my eyes. Wow. Like, I needed serotonin so badly. Mm-hmm. And I called her up and said, drugs are good. I'll go on Oprah with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Don't take my prescription away from me ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Writing got me through that. that. Just that list. Have you written about that experience? I think not as a poem, but as journal entries. So I've shared oh. I've shared this experience with people, uh-huh. right. Uh, right? And the the person who told me about this physician, this woman physician, actually later committed suicide, oh. and that was a very powerful experience. Also, right. that was all part of that mm. that experience, mm. and that really blew my mind. Yeah, you know. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think that connects mm. people when you share your experiences, whether it's in voice or writing or yeah. part of the human experiences mm-hmm. connecting with other pain. Yeah. And two other experiences that I wrote about that were very hard for me. One uh, was I had an abortion, a legal abortion when I was in college mm. and uh, as a sophomore, summer of my sophomore year and in Baltimore meeting at a hotel at midnight getting in the car with five other women. Mm. The driver is wearing sunglasses. The doctor and the nurse wore sunglasses, so you couldn't identify them. The city was rioting at that time, so there were flames and riots going on as we drove out into suburban Baltimore. So, and when I wrote about that, I went back for my junior year in college, and I wrote about it, that experience in a composition and my professor wrote, my professor who was also my advisor, so he knew me a little bit, wrote on the mm-hmm. top of the composition, write from your own experience. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I thought, well, he doesn't believe me because he thinks I'm this oh. you know, sweet little sorority girl, which I was. Right. So that oh. was one. And then much more recently, this was just a few years ago, I went back to one of the colleges where I had taught just to teach a one-credit class. And these students were ages 25 to 55. And they were students of all different, like chemistry and French and da-da-da-da. And I was giving a course, uh, writing across the curriculum to this group. And they harassed me. I mean, really harassed me. And I couldn't believe it at first. Because I never, ever had students who didn't like me. And I still never understood what happened. I never understood why it happened. Huh. And then, but even worse than the harassment was the college covered it up. 
Oh, my goodness. They didn't stand by me. They interviewed me, and then they didn't issue a report. They changed the student's grade. They did all this illegal stuff, and uh, that was an astonishing experience, which I do, I do have a poem in one of my books called How to Keep on Standing. Right. And it's about that experience. Huh. So you, you should write about everything. Yeah. My husband says, Anne, you run around, you're writing. When you're writing, it's like you're running around with no clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) Exposing yourself, right? That's right. That's right. This is how I said it, but you're not. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, at least you're aware of it. That's the main thing. Yeah. I mean, why write if you're going to protect yourself? It it doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. But just as exciting as writing your own story, I think. Yes, absolutely. Well, Anne, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and what you're going to put on your tombstone. I love that. <laughs> Loved this world, pen in hand. <laughs> you have to be ready to die. Yeah, I'm going to have to go think about what I want on my tombstone now. You. <laughs> it's an important thing. I'll send you a copy of the poem that you wanted. Oh, yes, please do. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Appreciate my it. My pleasure. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be one of your podcasts. Great information from Ann Staley. And her show notes with links are at rightofyourlife.com slash Ann Staley. There we also have a free download for you entitled Five Reasons to Get Kids Writing. At the end of each episode, I peek into the Life Story Toolkit and share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by lifestorytelling.com where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features an activity. It's an activity that will help you in many areas of your life by being more mindful of the things around you. I call it noticing the details. Writing that draws a reader in is composed of details that most people don't even think about until you're conscious about it. So this week, Go take a walk through your neighborhood. What do you see? Notice the architectural details of individual houses. What kind of plants are in the yards? What brand of cars are in the driveways? What do you hear? Birds? Kids playing? Cars on nearby roads? What smells do you smell? Flowers? Cooking? Exhaust? Record these on your smartphone as you go along. Then, when you return from your walk, See just how many of those little details you remember. Be a bit of a Sherlock Holmes and notice the details. Those are your little bits of information to include in your writing that will make it come alive. You'll bring your reader on the walk with you, which draws them into the story. Try it once a week and see how much more you'll notice about the world. Well, that's all we have for today. In the last episode, Christy Willis and I brainstormed many ways you can use Evernote as a writer and even as a family historian. So if you've been curious about how in the world Evernote is useful, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Norma Yeager, who was one of the pioneering women on Wall Street when women weren't even allowed on the New York Stock Exchange floor. Stay tuned for that exciting interview. If you liked this podcast and find it valuable, Would you consider sponsoring the show? You can support it by sharing each episode on your social networks, 
Or you can head over to our special page at patreon.com slash rightofyourlife and become a patron. Not only will you feel good knowing you're helping the show, but there are special perks for supporters too. If 15 people provided $5 per episode, it would help us reach many more people who could benefit from writing about their lives. We love our listeners and would enjoy interacting with you on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. My handle is Right of Your Life. This show is put together by a consulting producer, Nick Jaworski at Podcast Monster, and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life. <laughs>